Welcome to Speak Up, the official podcast of Speech Pathology Australia. We bring you insightful conversations with leading professionals about key issues and innovations in speech pathology, all in a concise format that's perfect for your busy schedule. We aim to inform, inspire, and also engage. We love hearing from you, so please join the conversation on our social media platforms or email us with your thoughts and questions. And please subscribe and share with your friends and colleagues. Your support helps us grow and inform, inspire and engage others. Now, let's embark on today's conversation. Hello, this is Nathan cornish Raley speaking to you from the lands of the Wurundjeri Woiwurrung and Bunurong peoples. Today, I'm excited to be speaking with Dr. Meredith Prane about accessibility of information for people with vision impairment who are deaf or have hearing loss or who live with a combination of those experiences. Meredith is a speech pathologist, a deaf blindness consultant, and a project officer at Deaf Blind Information Australia. And I should also note that she is a former employee of Speech Pathology Australia and was in my current role as professional support advisor. And I still access and learn from the work that she did here. So I'm delighted to get to chat with you and to learn from the work that you're currently doing. So thanks for joining us today, Meredith. You're welcome, Nate. Um, yeah, happy to be here. And I'm here today also um, on the land of the Wurundjeri and Wurrung people of the Eastern Kulin Nation. Um, and we'd just like to pay my deep um, gratitude to them for caring for this beautiful land for tens of thousands of years. Thank you. Well, to get us started, I wondered if you, you could tell us a bit about yourself and the work that you're doing. Sure. So, yes, apart from my um, stint at Speech Pathology Australia, I've worked with people with deaf blindness for over 25 years now. So I guess that work has informed a lot of what we'll talk about today, uh, but also people with profound multiple and um, profound intellectual and multiple disabilities um, as a speech pathologist, but yeah, also as a project manager and researcher. And I guess I learnt a lot on the most recent project, the DeafBlind Information Australia project, where one of our big focuses was on creating really accessible information for a very broad range of people. So in our discussions beforehand, you mentioned that online accessibility related to vision and hearing actually improved during the pandemic. How's that? Yes, so that, that's a good point. And I should have mentioned that I, I have a severe vision impairment myself. So I know that I was a bit surprised how much easier life got for me, not having to leave the house so much. Um, and that's because my online environment I could control. And I think that's a, a major thing about access, that we have such individual needs. So I could adjust the screen run training, have my notes enormous. And I I didn't look vision impaired on screen. But if you see me running training in face-to-face, um, -face, it's much more apparent that I have a vision impairment for me to be able to see my notes, just the how close I need to get up to things. But if I've got it enormous on my screen, I don't need to get up so close. Um, I certainly also heard from other people with hearing impaired kids that they were they managed better without all the background noise. They could adjust and hear the teacher better. 
Um, and I certainly heard from some speech pathologists about children with autism also being able to attend for longer when it was screen-based. So I think it just speaks to the individual difference and that there's no one-size-fits-all and we there's some rules of thumb that we can use to try to optimise accessibility, but at the end of the day, it, it's individual and we need to be mindful of the individuals that we're working with to to optimise accessibility for that person. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, I mentioned the DeafBlind Information Australia project a uh, moment ago, and the website your group created was awarded most accessible community, not-for-profit website of the year, and most accessible website overall. So congratulations on that. Thank you. We were super proud of that. We don't even know who nominated us and certainly weren't expecting to win. But it was it was really nice to see that a huge amount of time, effort and work that we'd put in to accessibility was was recognised and that that obviously we'd been doing something right. So we did um, undertake a, a paid accessibility audit. So it's worth people knowing that that's something that they can do. We went through a company called Intopia. We thought we were doing a pretty good job and were fairly shocked at there were 169 fixes just in 10 pages. So it was it was a huge learning curve for us. And I guess today I'll share some of the, the learnings and things that we could move forward with that that we use now always when we're we're adding any content or resources to that website, because um, we we yeah better know what we're doing now. So yeah, I'll, I'll certainly talk about some of the things. I mean, I'm happy to move into that right now. Some of the quick, easy fixes that cost nothing that that anyone can do with their content and website straight off. Yeah, that'd be great. Please. Sure. So, I guess um, the population of people with deaf blindness is so diverse. But that's something to consider as well. I think people often think about one population and forget about intersectionality. So thinking about a person who's deaf, okay, we need Auslan. But then what if they, they have a vision impairment and it's harder to see the Auslan? Um, or thinking about adjusting language, but then also if there's a vision impairment on top, how they access print um, information. So making sure that there was a multimodal approach taken. So a few of the things that we looked at, um, one of the things that we were a bit surprised about, we thought our language was fairly plain, but there were some pages that were way over grade nine reading level. So it's worth people knowing if they don't already that 44% of the Australian population has a grade nine reading level or lower. And so the Intopia, the company that did our audit, recommended an app called Hemingway Editor, which I use very regularly now with anything that I'm producing to just check what reading level it's at. So the good thing about Hemingway Editor is not only will it tell you what reading level it's at, but it will highlight key parts of it and explain what's wrong with it. So not using passive tense, if it's just too, too complex a sentence or phrase. Um, a, a really quick, easy thing to do that you mentioned before is putting bullet points rather than these big 
like service users and clients and, you know, these big long sentences, but actually list in bullet points wherever possible and you, you're wanting maximum white space. But the more you do that, the more you get into the habit of it so you're not having to go back and increase the accessibility. You just write it in the most plain language. And, yes, you don't want above grade nine, but you're always aiming for as low as you can possibly get it. So that, that sort of becomes a skill. I think we do a degree and get really good at writing academically and that's a, sort of a work to undo all of that academic writing. I think even with our report writing, it's something to consider because we have parents who are from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds and we, we don't know who the audience will be. I remember a manager years ago, we were working on a resource and I said, you know, this contrast is no good. And he said, well, but this is for professionals. It's not for clients. And I said, well, there's no reason that a professional won't have a vision impairment or be deaf. Um, and I think increasingly, which is great, there are more and more professionals with disability, which is fantastic and still not nearly enough. But we yeah, just need to be mindful with everything we, we do, who, you know, the target audience is, but recognising that that may be a, a more diverse audience than, than we thought at, at first, yeah, first glance. Um, so language level was something that we looked at. Also contrast, making sure that everything is high contrast and I'll send out with the program notes a contrast checker. So that's for anyone with a vision impairment, just being able to, you know, not have to get up super close, but that things stand out. You want as, as high contrast with, with all the text, with anything that you're you're doing on the website um, or, or on print forms as well. It's I, I always feel deeply concerned when I see companies go through a rebrand and have really appalling contrast in their new logo and just think, oh, no, you spent all this money and it's this really hard to read thing. Um, so, yeah, you don't sort of want yellow on orange. That's not, not a great, <laughs> um, <laughs> not great contrast. So, yeah, contrast checking, um, making sure things are screen reader accessible. And I'd really encourage people to have a go reading things with a screen reader. So I'd be surprised if anyone listening to this doesn't have a mobile phone. And all mobile phones have inbuilt screen reading software. So I use an iPhone, which has voiceover. You just go into your settings, go to accessibility and try reading websites. Try reading your own website. See if the images are described. See if there's these, you know, things that are clunky or it doesn't read. So I, I mentioned to you before we started, I've been so pleased to see, I used to struggle reading the old Speech Pathology Australia newsletter um, because there would be images that weren't described and it would just say image, image, and I'd, you know, vaguely wonder what it was. But they're all described now and it just makes it a much smoother process for me reading it, not sort of wondering, oh, I wonder what the image is, but you immediately feel included that you are getting the same information as, as a sighted reader. Mm -hmm. um, and, so, and what type of information is helpful in a description? Yes, great, great question. And this is one of the really big issues with accessible information is that we don't have great research um, and an evidence base in, in what is best practice with a lot of this stuff. There's there's guide, general guidelines that we know help and improve it, but 
but what is best practice is is a bit um, a little unclear. So I think you want to get really clear on the purpose of the image. Why are you putting the image there? I think often it's just to break up the text. And so being pretty specific about the image you're using to make sure that it's adding some information. Um, and then as a vision impaired reader, you don't want this huge amount of text to wade through describing an image. And again, this is personal preference, um, and I'll just give you an example in a minute. But like, so I'm thinking if there's a piece of chocolate cake or something, I don't know, it's a dysphagia website or something, um, you might say a slice of chocolate cake. You probably wouldn't want a slice of chocolate cake with whipped cream and bright red strawberries on a white china plate with a silver fork sitting on a white tablecloth, white linen tablecloth. Like this is too much information that someone doesn't wade through. But because I have a vision impairment and I'm lots, on lots of sites or chat groups with other vision impaired people, some love hearing what people are wearing and the jewellery and the fashion because they're interested and others can't stand it and go, I'm not coming to a meeting to find out what people are wearing. And so this is really personal preference again and I think it comes back to that, you know, finding out who's in your meeting, what do they want, looking at reasonable adjustments. That's that's face-to-face. -face. That's not so much accessible information. But again and again, it's this personal preference and, and knowing your audience. And um, I know online information, you, you can't adjust it for everybody. But the more feedback and information you can get, you start to build up a better picture and start to get a sense of, of the majority, what the majority are wanting and what's working for most people. Hmm. Um, so that's, yeah, a whole lot of stuff about image description. Um, so that, so they're all free things that you can do that cost nothing, that you can get better at doing and just making a point of doing that. We were talking a bit about social media before um, we started recording and so image descriptions on social media as well. I know that like Facebook these days and lots of social media will actually do a description, but it's good to just add an image description because you know what the salient features are that you're wanting to, to get across to the audience. So adding that in also. Um, and another thing to consider, because there are things that cost money, um, and one of those is Auslan interpretation. So I think it's worth being aware that there is no written version of Auslan. So for Auslan users, deaf people who are Auslan users, English is their second language. And so you're wanting to look at those at plain language as much as possible for that population. Um, but ideally, you would still have Auslan. So um, if you have that funding opportunity, building in the option to add in Auslan, which is costly. So getting a quote for that to make sure you've got Auslan. And I think it's one of the reasons probably that we were awarded because while we failed on a heap of things, we were really strong on the Auslan side of things. Any video, any video content at all had the Auslan interpretation as well. And also with the plain dark background, um, I think, with the NDIS, they made all these Auslan videos, but there were all these moving images. The the people using Auslan were moving about. So for someone with a vision impairment, there was it was too busy. There was too much happening on the screen. So you're really needing it quite plain. Something I noticed on the website is that the person using spoken English, which was you, uh, and the Auslan interpreter were presented in fairly equal size. 
which isn't something I see very often. Um, and I would think the size of a visual or text is important for accessibility purposes. But sometimes I wonder if that sends a message about the status or perceived value of other ways of communicating or accessing information when those appear smaller or secondary to spoken or written English. So aside from accessibility, it seems like the size and position of info can communicate inclusivity. And then there was the visual contrast where the spoken English had a light background and the person communicating in Auslan had a dark background. It's, that's a great um, observation. And because I work with people with deaf blindness, they experience a lot of glare from the screen. And so they will often prefer white text on a dark background. So I guess that's another thing to be aware that people will have their own adjustments that they're making online and their own preferences. But that's the reason that we have the Auslan with the dark background mostly because most Auslan interpreters have white skin, the ones that I've been using. So you're wanting contrast with hand colour and also the dark top, but then the dark background to reduce the glare from the screen as well. So I guess that's another thing with our website that you can, you know, flip and, and contrast it if you need to. Um, but it, it is a good point. And I heard, I saw... Um, dual language yesterday which is where the the easier read or, or plainer language is on one side and then the more dense language is on the other side because ideally so this is the point that I really wanted to get across today is that you do everything you can to get the information as accessible as you possibly can but that's only the first point because we all have different literacy levels and literacy levels change and fluctuate depending on different situations if you're stressed you, it's harder to take in lots of dense information but we all just have different life experience education and so sitting down with someone to go through the information with them and, and double check that they have understood it and explain any complex words. I think the NDIS has a huge amount of, of really complex language that, that's taken a lot of unpacking. And I know with Auslan interpreters, meetings will take a lot longer just mm. unpacking these new concepts and ideas that, that people who are deaf haven't necessarily been exposed to before. Um, so... So it's that you make the information accessible, but then you do want to go through it with somebody as well and not assume it's sort of seen as this tick box. Oh, we got Auslan interpretation. Oh, we made it grade nine reading level, tick, tick, tick. That doesn't necessarily mean the information is getting across. So you really want to be um, making sure that that, that second layer is happening and encouraging if, if you can't do it yourself, but that the person's got someone else that can sit down with them to go through it. So that's the other element of funding that you're always wanting to build in consumer testing and making sure that the end user is going through it and, and a variety of end users and checking what they think of the language. And we, we certainly did that with our website. If, is it accessible? Can you find the information you want? Um, and so building in the, the funding because people should be paid. This is another thing that I think we expect people with disability and clients to, to do all this stuff for us because, you know, we want them to get the benefit. But but they're often unemployed or underemployed and we're expecting them to use their expertise for this. So making sure that funding is put aside for that. 
um, and even funding to, to provide that support to go through it with somebody if, if necessary. You know, we were talking earlier about the importance of, of the information that a service puts on their website because um, that's a key way that people make decisions about the services they're going to receive and um, and learn about, you know, the people providing those services. And so um, this can have important implications for the the services that somebody engages in. And so, you know, we've talked about some low cost things that people can do, and there are obviously some things that require funding. Um, are there ways to request or, or access funding to be able to make your website more accessible? That's a good question. So the Disability Royal Commission had a lot about the need for accessible information. There's more and more awareness around the need for improved accessibility um, and more accessible information. So I think building that into any funding that you are applying for, like it's it's easier to argue the case that that you need funding to to be addressing these things. But yeah, I mean for private practices that that's difficult and it's really costly. So I mean some of the things that I'm talking about and if they if if listeners look at um the websites like look at our website and there's a couple of other websites that the I Can Vote I think is a really great website. I only just found out about that this week and it is also an international award winner. Um, and you immediately you see it's so like it's visually appealing, but you've got that white text on the black background, really clear images. There, there is Auslan once you get in. Um, and I think it's just a great resource for people to know about, to direct clients to, to, to understand better. So hopefully that will continue for future elections. I mean, it's it's a previous election that it was set up for, but um, I think it will just give listeners, yeah, some ideas seeing that and, and seeing better what, what an, a really high-quality accessible website looks like. Yeah, we'll include that. And you also pass along rainbowinclusion.org.au. And, and I sent, yeah, I sent that through because it was the same group that that developed that website. So again, you know, different information. And I thought it's good for people to know these resources are out there anyway. Um, but just seeing examples of people who really have a deeper understanding of of the broad range of ways that you need to make information accessible. I, I just find often people will go down one path and not recognise there's, there's multiple layers to it. Um, so we also talked about that we access a lot of different digital information or, or use a lot of digital tools to communicate with service users like online forms and scheduling and text and email reminders. Do you have any thoughts on how we can make that simpler to access? Yes. So it's, it's again, all of the things that I've been talking about. So thinking about language, thinking about high contrast. We had to hunt around but, but did find a graphic designer who really understood accessibility. And I guess we better knew which questions to ask. Um, so, I mean, I can share their um, information as well. And... I met with her and said, how, how did you learn this stuff? How do you know this stuff? Because I'm going, you know, this 
people really don't understand accessibility. It's interesting when you talk to people about accessible information and, and they kind of have quite a superficial understanding. Um, but she'd worked for guide dogs and I went, ah, oh, I really, she really understood screen reader accessibility, contrast, formatting. Um, so things like headings making, because screen readers, you can jump through headings. So really using headings to help people who use screen readers to navigate a form. But again, you would want, if you've got a blind or vision impaired users, yeah, checking with them and asking them. Um, but even employing someone like Kat um, and she can just do your forms and you just know that it's going to be accessible then so that you've really covered all your bases. Hmm. I guess, are there some go-to questions that you would ask a web designer to assess their understanding? So I guess you'd ask, um, how do you know this is accessible to a screen reader? Which types of screen readers is it accessible to? Like, do they even know what what screen readers are out there? Or even ask, you know, what what's your background? Like, who have you worked with? How do you, um, how have you learned to, yeah, what? Because sometimes they just consult. That's I didn't realize that. Like, they'll just consult with Vision Australia, or they consult. But but have they actually worked in the sector or with directly with users, end users? I think that um, knowing that they've they've really worked with that population um, will, will, yeah, definitely help. Mm, yeah. Well, and it seems to me that the um, DeafBlind Australia Information website has a lot of helpful info for, for people that do kind of have a superficial understanding or don't have a lot of experience in this area to kind of learn more about accessibility and the range of ways that we can make things accessible to people. And uh, yeah, so I, that's another one that we'll include in the show notes. Um, are there any other resources that you would recommend to listeners? Uh, so there's one thing that I wanted to say at the very beginning, which is that just the gap in digital literacy that I think we're so focused on online resources these days, and there's a huge number of people who don't have access to online information hmm. which is really problematic so there's lots of people falling through the cracks for a variety of reasons they might not have access to a device they might have a device but no connectivity they might have a device and connectivity but lack the digital literacy um, or even people who are screen reader users not even knowing how to use their screen reader to adjust to access the information so there's a whole lot of elements there to just to be mindful of still having print information or working with people, working with the service users and clients to build their digital literacy or look at ways that they can. Um, I think there's a lot of fear of risk of people with intellectual disability or cognitive impairment accessing the internet. And it's not managed. I think I actually think I listened to a great um, episode on Speak Out about this. Um, so really managing those risks and working with people to build their digital literacy. So that that's a key issue as well, that um, a lot of people who do have the capacity are not and still don't have access to this information and aren't having skills built 
to be able to access it. So there's, it's a really multi-pronged approach. We want to always be working with service users. We want to be building their skills. But we also, and the other thing is I think people are so used to not understanding, they just don't even try. So the more people start to come to websites and go, oh, I can access it, so I I know myself, I'll look at a website and just go, oh, it's, this is visually just way too hard. And I'll email myself a link and read it on my phone. So I tend to be visual on my desktop and then audio on my phone. And But if it's visually more easy, I'll stick with it on, on the desktop. So the more e visually appealing and accessible it is there, people will be more likely to stick at it and give it a go than just think, oh, this is this is all too hard and I can't do it. Um, the more people are coming to websites doing that, the more confidence they'll build. So sort of a multi-pronged approach, but then people still need that support and guidance to, to learn how to, to navigate and access web and online content. Yeah, that's a fantastic point. Well, as we finish up the episode today, I just wondered if you had any final thoughts that you'd like to share with listeners. Um, I, I would really encourage people to get in the habit of not producing, unless they're writing a peer-reviewed journal article, um, not produce anything. Think about reports, online content, forms that's over grade nine reading level. I think it's a really good habit for us all to get into. Um, just because of the stats, we know there's a huge number of Australians that will really struggle with reading level over that. There's a lot who, even when it's at grade nine, will still struggle. But I'd really encourage people to get into Hemingway Editor, start to use it, start to get better at thinking about how they're, they're writing. Anytime you sit down to write anything, thinking about the language level. Um, and we've got this tool that immediately we know, okay, it's, it's you know, grade 14. I need to do something about this. And I should also mention, which I can't believe hasn't come up until now, Easy English. So there are some great service providers out there. I've done quite a bit of work with Kathy Basterfield and there are others who provide um, Easy English resources. So you can pay to develop the Easy English resources, which is for another group of readers who have that much lower reading level and really need a lot of images to support their understanding of the text. And so, again, when you're looking at funding, considering um, getting quotes for Easy English production and, and translation of written information. So you're looking at translating it into Auslan, but then also translating it or converting it into Easy English as well. So that there's so many different reading levels, but you really want your you grade nine as a basis, but then you want to meet this other group of people as well and have the, the Easy English. I know years ago the Victorian Electoral Commission had an, I can't remember if it was Easy English or Easy Read, but there was information and then the just regular information. They got way, way, way more hits on the Easy Read version. Everyone will always opt for the easier version. So I think that sort of gives you so much information that if we make it easier for one group, it just makes it easier for so many other people. So do be mindful of easy English as well. But just one final point, the terminology, there's so much terminology. We have easy English, easy read, plain language, 
accessible written information I've seen, dual read, D-U-A-L read, aphasia friendly. So I think we can get bogged down in all these different um, formats. And I think as you bare minimum, you're going with the grade nine, but then ideally you're also kind of wanting to go with easy English, that that much lower reading level to, to meet the needs of, of that other population of much of people with much lower literacy levels. So that's just a whole lot more information for you there to consider um, and that we do need research. So any students, people considering PhDs, we, we really need some research and um, evidence around what what is going to meet the, the, the most needs. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I've been struck with in, in our conversation, uh, you know, today and in, in preparing for this episode is the tools that we already have at our disposal. You know, there's things on my phone that I carry around with me every day that I just learned about today um, that I can use to to make things more accessible and inclusive for others. Mm -hmm. And yeah, start start looking at websites, start giving feedback, be an ally, be an advocate, let um, services know, hey, this you could make this more accessible. Um, and, you know, I'm kicking myself. I should have contacted Speech Pathology Australia, but, you know, they've sorted it out. But I, I for years I couldn't see the images. So just speaking up and and letting other services that we're using, you know, our, your hairdresser, whoever, just letting them know things that they can do to make things more accessible as well. Yeah, that's great. And I think it is important for for us to be allies and to be speaking out about that. So the burden isn't on people um, who who need to access that information and those services. Exactly. Yeah. Well, Dr. Meredith Prang, thanks so much for speaking with me today. You're welcome, Nate. Thank you. Good to talk to you. Great to talk to you. And to our listeners, thanks for joining us. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Speak Up. We hope you've enjoyed this week's conversation. Please subscribe to the podcast and share with your colleagues and friends. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for listening. Bye for now.